You're listening to episode 30 of the Sick Mom's Guide. Welcome to the Sick Mom's Guide podcast. If my mom can do it, you can too. I'm Jen Hardy. I'm the mom of seven children. At the date of this recording, their ages range from six to 28. I'm married to the man of my dreams, and I have multiple eclectic chronic diseases. Throughout this parenting journey, I've come up with systems and ways to handle juggling it all while staying positive and moving forward, even when my body's pushing back. I've created this podcast because I believe that if we start opening up, stop being ashamed, and ditch the guilt, then as a community, we will make each other stronger. Thanks for joining me. A lot of us don't talk to other people about the fact that we're chronically ill or we have chronic pain or anxiety or depression. A lot of us really keep it inside and we don't have a place to go to find out how in the world to get help because we all think we have to be like, you know, that lady down the street who has it all together and has everything done and everything seems perfect, right? And that's really hard when you're a mom with a chronic health situation. But if you throw in a child with special needs or children with special needs, sometimes the things we have to do seem almost insurmountable. Because not only are we taking care of our special circumstances, but we're taking care of our children's. And it can be tough. I come to you as a parent with two children that have extra needs They'd be considered special needs if they're in school, they're home, we're homeschooling, which honestly entails a lot more work because they have special things that we need to do to accommodate how they learn. And so I'm right here with people that are asking, how in the world can we make life easier for ourselves and make life better for our kids as we're going through all this? I looked to one of my friends, Tiffany Moody. She is also the contributor to my book. She's got some really great and simple recipes in my book, The Sick Mom's Guide to Having Fun Again. If I can do it, you can too. She's a really wonderful person. And she couldn't be here today to talk to me. So she sent me an email and I'm going to read you her ideas. And then I'm going to talk to one of my children's occupational therapists. She's a pediatric occupational therapist, Dr. Cindy Blackwell. And she has got a huge list of great things we can do to make our lives better and our kids' lives better and to continue therapy at home without overdoing it ourselves. So stick around because that's what's coming up. But first, Tiffany gave me a list of six things to do to make life easier when you're parenting special needs kids as a parent with special needs. So number one, don't be afraid to ask for help. Number two, she said, I found it easier for appointments to be on a set schedule for both myself and my kids. We have the same appointments every week on the same day at the same time. That is brilliant. Number three, find support in other parents that are going through similar situations with their children. Look on Meetup for local groups or search Facebook groups. Just a plug, Chronically Positive Moms. That's where Tiffany Tiffany and I met online and she's in my group with me and she's amazing. So if you join us in there, you can talk to her too. Number four, if you're the parent of a child with special needs, you will at some point need to learn about the special education system and how it works. Taking care of school issues is a lot of work. Again, reach out for help. There's people out there that know how to navigate the system if you don't, and they can help you learn what you need to know. 
Number five, rest when you can. When they're at school, rest. And six, self-care. If you don't take care of yourself, then you can't take care of anybody else. Tiffany also has been working on a side business at home where she sells things on an app called Poshmark. And I'm going to leave her Poshmark link in the show notes so that you can check it out because she is wanting to not have to go to work. She grooms dogs and that is some physical work. And she is not feeling up to it every day, but she, you know what? She still has to go to work and take care of her family. So she's found this other way to kind of work around that, still earn money, but be able to be home, be with her kids, and not have it be so taxing on her body. So I'll leave you a link to that. And if you have any questions of that, you can message her and talk to her about it because it's a great thing for everybody. So those are Tiffany's ideas. My ideas kind of go along with everybody else's, which are, you've got to take care of yourself, even though you feel guilty about that. Because if you don't, no one else is going to. You may have support system around you, but nobody knows exactly what you need as much as you do yourself. And if you are happy and taken care of, it's way easier to take care of other people and make them happy. Because if you're miserable, it's hard for you to make other people happy. Let's be realistic. Also, give yourself some leeway. There are literally a million things you could be researching for every child with special needs. There is so much information available out there. There are so many different therapies. There's so many different toys that you can get at home and you can work with them and you can do all these things. You would never have enough time, even if you were healthy to do every single thing that possibly could be done. So what you need to do is try to sit back and take a deep breath and really think about what does my child need and make the top three list or the top five list of the things that they need and you can do. And just research one thing at a time. I know that's hard because our mom brains go in a million directions. And we want to just figure everything out. But you're not going to do anything well if you're doing a 100 different things. So just focus on a few, get them the help that you can get without wearing yourself out and know you are doing the best for your child that can be done. That's the bottom line. Okay, so it's okay to not do absolutely everything because realistically, no one's doing absolutely everything. There's just so much to do. The most important thing you can do is love that child. Let them know you love them. Show your love and appreciation. And if you are running to 50 different places and exhausted and unhappy, they're not going to feel loved and appreciated. So really take a step back and figure out how can you focus your energy the best and give yourself grace when you need to just sit back and maybe say, you know what, today we're going to take a day off, we're going to put a movie in, we're going to cuddle up together, and that's what we're going to do. And some days that is just okay to do that and explain to them how you're feeling because if you don't model to them self-care when they grow up, they're not going to learn self-care. Because a lot of our moms didn't model that, right? They just sacrificed everything for everybody and wore themselves thin and were very unhappy. We don't want to be that mom. We want to be the happy, cool mom who's fun and still rocks it. So that's my two cents. And now I will introduce Dr. Cindy Blackwell. Now, I'm going to actually read Dr. Blackwell's bio because 
she's done so many amazing things and I don't want to miss out. Also, you may hear me refer to her as Cindy because my family actually works with her and we know her as Miss Cindy because we're in the South and that's how we do things down here. So she is Dr. Blackwell. But if you hear me say Miss Cindy, that's why I'm not being disrespectful. It's just how we are in the office. So Dr. Cindy Blackwell is a pediatric occupational therapist specializing in pediatric mental health, sensory processing issues and self regulation and behavior management. Cindy has experience working with children and their families in both public and therapeutic schools, in home based and outpatient services as well as academia. Cindy's doctoral research focused on supporting parent advocacy in special education. In 2014, Cindy was chosen as an emerging leader with the American Occupational Therapy Association. Her favorite thing about her job is that she can play games and talk about feelings all day while helping children learn and develop to their highest potential. Isn't that incredible? What an amazing woman. I am so happy to have her today. Also, if you notice a lot of deep breaths in the microphone, I apologize I am having a hard time breathing today. I've got muscular dystrophy and asthma and myasthenia gravis, and I don't know which one has taken over my lungs, but there may be some heavy breathing, and I apologize for that in advance. And without further ado, here is Dr. Blackwell. Hi, Dr. Blackwell. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi there. Um, Can you start off by telling us a little bit about occupational therapy and what it is that you do? Sure, I'd love to. Occupational therapists uh, address a wide uh, variety and wide range of issues. Um, The word occupation refers to just anything you do in your daily life, so anything that occupies your time. Um, OTs and OT assistants use meaningful occupations therapeutically to help enable people to participate in things like their roles, habits, and routines um, across a variety of environments so that we can help people throughout the lifespan just participate better in their day-to-day life. Um, Since I work in pediatrics, my job is to help kids with disabilities or developmental delay and their families to achieve goals. Um, OTs work on all areas of living, so anything that's important to a person. So we address things like self-care, activities of daily living, work, education, play, um, social participation, and even rest and sleep, which is important, I think, to moms especially. Um, So we help clients identify what occupations or roles or routines are important to them and then use those things to help enable them to live life to the fullest. So being a pediatric OT, I deal in play mostly because play is the primary occupation of the child. It's our kid's job to play. And I think that's really important that you say that because I think a lot of people forget that that's their job, right? And they push them so hard to learn all kinds of different things and don't give them enough time to play. And I think it's really important to understand that learning occurs through play. When kids are playing, they're not only pretending, but they're um, experimenting. They're looking at cause and effect. They're trying to see if I do this, what's going to happen. And that's how they, how they learn about the world in a meaningful way versus just being instructed or told how the world works. They really learn about it by engaging with it playfully. Well, that's a really good point. So if we take breaks from the things that we think we're supposed to be doing and let our kids play, it's not a bad thing. Exactly. That's awesome. Okay, so the, the one of the first things I wanted to ask you, because I think this is so important, because a lot of us, the, we don't feel good, we have chronic pain or chronic illness. People like me, they're in bed most of the day. We tend to give our kids screen time, which is like TV, tablets, phones, whatever, more maybe than other parents do. And we're really working on, me and a bunch of the people that I've been talking to, working on 
not having so much screen time. But what are some good alternatives we can give our have to give our kids to keep them busy? That's not those screens, especially kids with special needs, because you know we sometimes we can't just say go play because that's too broad. Sure. Um, I think that's a really good point and a good observation. Um, I mean, screen time is kind of a necessary evil sometimes in our world. Um, but like I said, the, the child's primary occupation is play. So limiting screen time is important. Um, there are a lot of tools out there that are available to help parents kind of monitor and limit the amount of tra- time a child is spending online or on a screen. Um, for all kids, but especially kids who have disabilities or delays, um, iPads can be kind of preferred because they're easy or, you know, TV or phone or whatever, whatever it is. Um, But the problem is it's kind of a sensory overload for them. So occupational therapists talk about sensory diets quite a bit. That's the idea that um, just like we have to have a balanced diet nutritionally with our food, we also need to feed our sensory systems in a healthy way with a good mix of input. So watching a screen all all day gives really, um, high intensity input that can be really rewarding to kids, but it's kind of like a sugar rush for your brain. So you get all of this input um, without uh, any substance behind any nutrition, and that kind of leads to a crash or a meltdown later on. So weaning off screen time, I think, is really important. So I'm glad that you've kind of got that on the forefront of your mind. Um, I think a big thing we can do to help kids is to teach them how to play independently, give them some leisure skills. Uh, We can encourage them to explore and develop different hobbies. Uh, If your child has a difficult time kind of coming up with ideas for what to do, we can, we can facilitate that for them. Um, I'm thinking about creating a a choice board or kind of a menu of activities for them to choose from. That way you can sort of avoid the, I'm bored. I have nothing to do. (laughs) If you have things prepared for them and let them know, you know, you have these five or six or seven choices of things you can do. And it can be things that you know they can do independently or with little supervision. Um, You can encourage them to kind of make a plan. Kids love being in charge and in control of what they do. So you can have them make a plan of some of the activities they want to do after school. So first I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this and that. And you'd be surprised at how much ownership they can take over those activities. Um, You can kind of change what's available on the menu of activities day to day based on how you're feeling or based on, you know, if it's rainy outside, the kid might not be able to go and play on the swing set. Um, so you can sort of control what's available, but give them the, the control and the independence to be able to set their own kind of agenda for play. Um, and that way they can kind of come up with more ideas other than sitting in front of the TV or sitting on the iPad. Um, if your child needs more guidance to make these choices, you can kind of help them create maybe a visual schedule um, to help them understand what choices might be and what might come next. Um, And this is going to take some time in practice, especially for our kids who might have disabilities or maybe some delays um, with cognitive processing. But I've seen kids of all ages and all ability levels be able to learn how to use this system. Um, And there are even some apps. Yes, I know the iPad, but (laughs) there are even some apps that can make it easy to build a little visual schedule to help kids manage it more independently. Um, So that's kind of a nice way to um, to help kids learn to develop independent play skills beyond sitting in front of a screen. So another option is to consider making um, family time kind of centered around a relaxing activity. Um, So you can think about popping in some popcorn and putting in a movie. Yes, that's screen time, but it's still time that you're spending with your kids. And it kind of is a a family bonding activity that allows them to get some time with you without uh, being a drain on your uh, energy supplies. 
Um, you could play a board game together, maybe not something demanding like Twister, but <laughs> a, a nice seated board game are great, is great for helping kids work on um, attention and turn-taking and social skills. Um, we help them work on regulation and what do I do if I lose or I have to move backwards in a game. Um, and some board games even work on cognitive and fine motor skills really nicely. Uh, in my job, I probably play four to five board games a day. Um, it's a really great therapeutic activity, and it's one that you can do seated um, on the floor or in bed or wherever, so that's kind of minimally uh, taxing on your energy supply. Later, will you um, email me a list of those games, and I can put them in the show notes so somebody listening can get some of those games that they know are good therapeutically as well yep. as fun to play with the kids? Is that okay? Absolutely. Great. So sometimes we're so tired, we feel like we can't even play a board game because we're just exhausted. And there's a lot of guilt that comes with that because we know that a lot of other parents can do more. And so is there a way that we can kind of refocus or think about things that make it better? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's really important to acknowledge that parents who are living with a disability or a chronic illness don't have um, necessarily the same energy levels or the same opportunity to play in the same way with their kids. But I think the first thing that's important for anyone with a chronic illness or disability to remember is that self-care comes first. Um, it's really kind of counterintuitive, I think, especially to moms. Um, I know many, many moms who have needs themselves, um, who really struggle with this, but, um, there's that saying, you can't pour from an empty cup. Um, you have to take care of yourself before you're able to more appropriately and better take care of others. Um, I'm sure many folks who live with a disability are familiar with spoon theory. So that's the concept that you're only allotted so much energy in a given day. So the metaphor is starting your day with maybe 10 spoons and ordinary things, things like um, getting dressed, getting up and out of bed, uh, helping your kids get ready for school, take away your supply of spoons. You have a limited amount of energy um, to, to be able to deal with the things that day-to-day -day other people may not think about. So using this metaphor, we can kind of understand that a person's energy is limited, and so we have to prioritize our activities really carefully, um, understanding that it is okay to take a break and rest. Um, if your kids are able to understand what's going on, you can maybe use um, a timer or kind of point them to the clock to let them know how long you might need to take a break. Um, say, you know, hey, mom's going to go, I'm going to go take a nap for an hour. I'm going to go lay in bed for an hour. And when the timer is up, then we can get up and play or go to the park or whatever it is. Um, but kind of helping them understand that, that you need breaks and modeling that. Um, so often our kids need breaks too. And so if they see you taking care of yourself in a healthy and appropriate way, when you're exhausted and, and need a break, um, that's a really great way to kind of show them how we can use some of those coping skills. Um, I'm sure a lot of folks living with chronic illness and disability have thought about uh, energy conservation techniques. So this can look like uh, breaking a task up into chunks or taking breaks in the middle of something or kind of strategically planning what order to do things so that you can maximize your efficiency. Uh, we know that we need to prioritize what we do day to day. Um, and I often tell patients to do kind of the most difficult or demanding tasks when you're feeling the best to get it out of the way. So for some people, that's first thing in the morning. For others, it might be after you rest a little bit, or it might be after you've had your coffee in the morning. Um, you can also think of simple chores or simple ways that your kids can help you um, at home to ease the burden. So if you have kids that are old enough or responsible enough to take on some of that burden for you and with you, you can make a game out of it or create a reward system to help them stay motivated to help you out um, and, and keep you on track with 
the home maintenance side of things, if that's a priority for you. Um, another energy conservation strategy is to just use what technology is available. Um, I think we live in a world that, that offers us a lot of opportunities in this realm. So using something like ClickList for grocery shopping or online ordering can save time and hassle of having to get to the grocery store, um, especially if you've got to bring your kids with you, which can be difficult for a lot of our kids, I know. Um, online ordering is available most anywhere now. You can make uh, shopping just a little bit easier and less burdensome by kind of taking out some of the physicality of it um, and saving yourself some time. I'm sure you've probably got a ton of examples of ways you figured out how to conserve your energy and, and shop smarter and do things around the house smarter. Um, besides just thinking about practical ways to kind of manage fatigue, I think another thing that parents should think about is to avoid overcommitment. Um, our culture, I think, rightly pushes kids to be well-rounded, but we enroll them in soccer and piano and karate and swimming lessons and all of these things. And they're so overcommitted. I mean, they're in uh, after school activities almost every day. And that takes a big toll on parents and on kids, uh, especially kids who might have a disability or a delay or a difference in how they view the world. Um, I promise your kid can still have fun and have a full life if they're only in one after school activity or maybe two. Um, they're not going to you know, resent you for, for not scheduling something every single afternoon for them. <laughs> Um, and then I think the last bit of advice I'd have for parents is to use your network. Um, so if you're having a down day or a day when your energy is low, reach out to other people. If you're lucky enough to have a network of family or friends, uh, don't be too afraid or too proud to call on them for help, um, for an hour of babysitting or help around the house. It's really hard, but I think understanding that it truly does take a village to help raise our kids is, is so true. Well, that's great. Those are some great ideas. So what are some activities that we can do with our kids on days that we're able to do these activities that's therapeutic for them so that we can work on things they need without wearing ourselves out and continue the therapy that they're getting when they go to their therapist at home? That's a great question. Um, as far as home therapy carryover, I mean, it all comes back to play. Um, again, that's that's the child's job. So any activity we do to work on um, a specific skill comes in the form of play. So whether I'm working with a child on pretend play or a structured game or maybe making an obstacle course in your living room, um, showing kids that you're interested in their ideas for play is huge. Um, kids have great ideas. And if you kind of frame it to them, like, what do you think we should do? What's your idea for how we can work on this skill? They're going to come up with some things and you may have to rein them in a little bit and <laughs> help them keep it realistic. But um, showing them that you're interested in their ideas is a really great confidence booster and it helps them become more motivated to work on skills that might be difficult for them. If you're feeling tired, um, you can look for ways you can kind of direct their play, um, maybe from a a more um, spectator side of things uh, from the parent's perspective. So you can look for ways to make play a challenge or to work on a goal. So think about um, giving them like a minute to win it type chat type task. Um, I want to see how fast you can clean up all the Legos in this living room. I'm going to time you. Let's see how fast you can do it. <laughs> or um, I work with a lot of kids on following multi-step directions and we make a memory game out of it. And that's something that is um, motivating and interesting to a lot of kids. Um, I've got a lot of kids right now that are really into like ninja warrior type tasks. So to be a ninja, you have to have really good focus and you have to make sure that your body is in control and all of these things to kind of parlay their interests into helping them work on some of those self-control and self-regulation skills at home. Um, 
I read a really great article recently about ways that parents can entertain their kids um, while lying down. So maybe you're lying on the couch or you're laying in bed. Um, some of these activities can be, you know, having kids drive cars over your back uh, to maybe make a little roadway or just something interesting and fun like that. Um, in the article, one mom even described a game called What's on My Butt, where her kids would go and find a random toy and put them on her and she'd have to guess what it was. Um, she said it was just hours of entertainment because your kid gets to hear you say the word butt. Um, and they get to you know, trick mom with the guessing game. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, you can also encourage pretend play by having your child put on a show for you. You can have them play doctor or play princess. You know, Pretend that you're the queen and they have to wait on you hand and foot and bring you things. And you'll be surprised at the, the creation creative uh, ways that they come up with to make mom feel better or to, to just show you things that they're interested in. Um, and that's kind of a fun way to keep them entertained for quite a while with minimal work and effort on your part. Um, what's important here is really just showing them that you care. So kids know when they're being tricked into busy work or being tricked into kind of going away. Um, but the bottom line is that your child's more interested in your kind of mental and emotional engagement than in your physical engagement with them. They just want to know that you care and that you're into what they're into. Um, if you're not feeling up for that intense interaction, you can kind of create a special reserve of awesome toys for when you're having a hard day. So this doesn't have to be anything extravagant, um, but just find a few toys that they might really enjoy or that they haven't seen in a while uh, and bring those out only during some special times. Um, so, you know, I know Play-Doh is kind of a messy activity, but that's something that can keep kids busy for hours. And it's something you can bring out maybe only once in a while to help kids um, kind of feel like it's a little more special, but also to keep them entertained when you just don't have the energy or the time to be able to, to engage with them. Um, you can also spend some time to switch out their regular toys often to kind of keep that boredom away. So maybe only have a few toys available at a time and switch them out as um, your energy allows. So that way they kind of keep it fresh and keep it interesting for that independent play. Um, additionally, if your child's working with an OT already, um, be upfront with that OT about your own needs if you feel that that's appropriate because OTs are trained to help patients kind of problem solve and come up with the just right challenge for everybody. So your OT can help you figure out ways to target your child's goals while keeping your own needs in mind. Um, a last piece of advice I would have is to set up the environment as much as you can to help our kids succeed. So our younger kids who need more supervision um, can have playtime in a specific room, you know, a room that you know anything in that room they can access. It's safe. Um, you can use baby gates or child locks to kind of keep them contained and safe just depending on their age and developmental stage. Um, older kids do well with lists or visual schedules, like I mentioned before, just to help them know their expectations and to know what options are available to them. If you set up the environment ahead of time when you're feeling strong, it'll just help prevent mishaps down the line, I think. Um, for older kids who are, are working on independence, you can use timers and schedules to help them kind of stay organized and stay on the ball. That's something I work with a lot during my OT sessions is helping kids manage their schedule and their to-do list more independently. Um, you can reach out to your child's school maybe to seek accommodations for things like homework or for parent and school communications. And again, reach out to your child's OT if they have one for help on this. Um, if your child's not currently seeing OT, that's fine. See if you can contact a local clinic, maybe for a consultation. Um, there are also some really great OT blogs and resources out there that deal with kind of helping kids work toward independence. Um, I would just caution to make sure that it's written by a, a qualified OT um, and make sure that the advice you're getting is solid and kind of matches with your situation. But of course, nothing replaces that skilled therapy um, for help with some of these issues.
Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I know OT has really helped my kids. So that's why I wanted to have you here because it's such a great thing and you've got so many amazing ideas. So um, I know you're personally helping us. And so I love that you can help everybody else too. It's so great. And I Um, love that that's my job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty nice to be able to play all day, you know, (laughs) can't complain. (laughs) And it's funny. You need a lot of school to be able to play all day. So that's very true. I love that you've got so many ways for us to get involved with our kids and do everything. But I know for mine, especially the younger ones, in the back of their minds, they're always worrying about me. And that seems to affect their attitude and how they're feeling a lot of the time. What are some ways that we can help our kids not worry about us so much? Is there anything we can do for that? Definitely. Um, I think that's a really good observation that your own state really does affect your kids and how they're dealing and coping with things day to day. Um, Kids are smart. They pick up on everything. Um, Even if you try to kind of fake your way through or or hide if you're having a hard day, kids can really understand what's going on and they perceive a lot more than we give them credit for. Um, This holds true for our kids with disabilities also. They, They often are picking up on a lot more of the subtle cues that we leave behind. Um, But you know, kids are smart, but they're also resilient. Um, They can handle things if we teach them how to cope appropriately. So talk to your kids when you're not feeling good. Um, They kind of want to know the why behind things. If you've ever met a three-year-old, they want to know the why behind every little thing. And that doesn't change with age. It just changes how it looks. Um, And so you don't have to necessarily go over your medical bills or your symptoms with your kids, but let them know what's going on because they want to know. And I can guarantee that it's going to be scarier in their head and they're going to build something up um, and make it seem a lot worse in their head than um, if you just kind of sit down and and be honest with them about what's going on. Um, There is a resource called healthychildren.org and that has great guidelines to help parents understand kind of what kids can process at what age. Um, So what's sort of appropriate, um, what's an appropriate level to talk to kids about these difficult topics. Uh, but we should keep in mind that kids with disabilities often process at kind of delayed rates compared to others their age. Um, so again, you don't need to burden them with all the nitty gritty details, but explain to them what's going on in a way that's age appropriate. Um, and along with that, just like we need to develop healthy ways to cope with our stress and our anxiety, we have to teach our kids to do the same thing. So a huge part of my job as an OT is teaching kids how to self-regulate, so how to understand and name their feelings and use strategies to kind of help them stay feeling just right. So if you can help your kids name and understand their feelings, that'll be really critical to them. And this starts by modeling it yourself. So be honest with your kids when you're feeling grumpy or tired or frustrated because they already know. Um, A great game that I play with kids when I'm introducing self-regulation concepts is to try to figure out how people around them are feeling. And kids love to point out when you're, you know, when somebody cuts you off in traffic, oh, mom, you just got really mad and you yelled. (laughs) Um, Kind of seeing, uh, just cueing into what's going on with the emotional states of people around them. And then that leads them to be able to understand and name their own feelings. And that's the first step toward being able to use coping and calming tools to stay in that just right zone. Um, So we can make sure that we're reassuring and validating their feelings. We can help them name their feelings by debriefing after an event or an episode happens. Um, I know that you cried when you dropped your ice cream cone, you were feeling really sad. And it's okay to feel sad when you drop your ice cream cone, but here's what we can do. Next time we can go to mom and we can ask her for help. And that'll help us not feel so sad. Um, So you're kind of teaching them and modeling those coping strategies as well as just healthy regulation habits. 
Another way to help kids stay adjusted is to just do your best to keep things consistent and keep a consistent routine. Um, having a backup plan for days when maybe you don't feel so well so that you're not scrambling. Um, you can employ a trusted friend or a neighbor to check in and kind of help out, um, have somebody on call if they're willing to be. Um, let your kids know what's going on because they pick up on things and they will wonder. Um, and I think my last piece of advice would be just to live in the present, um, dwelling on the what ifs or the, I had so much energy five years ago or what's tomorrow going to look like. That's damaging to you and it is to your kids. Um, it's difficult not to compare yourself, but try not to compare yourself now to how you used to be. Um, don't spend too much time worrying about what it's going to be like tomorrow. And I know this is inevitable and it's something that is on the forefront of every person's mind who lives with chronic illness. Um, planning is important, but worrying too much about tomorrow or the next day is going to drain your energy from today. So if we can work towards kind of accepting a new normal, making the effort to adjust, our kids will pick up on that and our kids will too. Um, so reach out to your community or online support groups for help with this, because we know that there are lots of resources out there to help us as adults cope and live with disability the best way we can. Um, so utilize those resources and take care of your own mental health first and our kids will follow our example. Well, that's awesome. You know, and I had no idea, honestly, before we started coming to where, to where you work, how many different things that an occupational therapist could do. And so I'm hoping that someone listening can think, oh my gosh, you know, we're having a struggle with any one of the things that we've talked about today and that they can find an occupational therapist. One question I was going to ask you, you referred to a timer earlier. Is there a certain kind of timer that tends to work better for kids with special needs? One that I use every day is called the Time Timer. That's the kind of brand name. And um, it's a physical timer, but it also comes in app form for the iPad or iPhone if um, that's more convenient for you, kind of have it always in your pocket. Um, and it is a visual timer. So you can set the timer for um, anywhere from one minute up to 60 minutes. And um, as you set the timer, the clock face turns red. Um, and as time ticks down, that red slowly, slowly disappears. So kids get a really nice visual cue of how much of that pie is left. Um, they can kind of look and see, visually see that time ticking down. Um, and that's really helpful for our kids who may struggle with just number awareness or kids who are a little bit younger um, to see how much time they have left. Because when the red's all gone, they know that time is up. So that's a really helpful resource. I use it all the time. That is so helpful, especially for kids who really need a warning before they're just told, stop right now. And it's just one more way that you've helped me out. And another reason why I want people to understand there are so many small things that can be helped in your life and your children's life by reaching out and getting help from an occupational therapist or a physical therapist or getting the help that you and your kids need even though you feel like you're so tired, you might not be able to do it. If we have a parent that just can't make it to occupational therapy because they're just not feeling well, maybe they're going through cancer treatment or something that they can't get out of the house, is there any other way for them to get help? There is actually. Um, there is an emerging area of OT practice right now called telehealth. Um, this is kind of being seen across the medical field, but it's um, the idea that our services can be delivered um, over a video call 
or um, something, some other um, remote way to deliver these therapy services. It's not something I would recommend for all families, but it's a really great tool for consultation and collaboration with families, um, especially those who might have mobility impairments or difficulty um, managing their schedule or managing their energy to get out of the house. And so you can um, contact occupational therapists in your area and see if there is um, a way to kind of set up a, a tele-rehab or telehealth relationship to check in on what's going on in the home and with your family. Oh, that sounds great. Cause I know there was a time for me for four months when I couldn't go anywhere. And so that would have been really nice to have to at least get them somehow. Cause I know for us going to therapy is such a great thing. They look forward to it, you know, and it's a great thing to get them out of the house and doing something positive. But if you can't and you still need help, that's great. Well, thanks. So um, what if you could give a parent who's dealing with all of this one piece of advice, what would that be? I think my biggest take home is to take care of yourself first. Um, Understand how you best cope with things and the tools that are available for you to use. Because if you can um, kind of take care of your own mental health and well-being, it's going to better equip you to be able to do that for your kids, um, to teach them how to do that and to model that for them. Because then they'll, um, A, they'll know that you understand and care about them and B, you're going to be able to help them out with um, the changes that may be coming. Okay, great. And what is your superpower? Uh, I hope that people would say my superpower is empathy. Um, I try my best to really understand um, and dig into the situations that that the families I encounter every day are dealing with. Um, I think that it's really, really important to be able to put yourself in another person's shoes and truly try to understand what their lived experience is like so that I can be the best help to them I can be. Empathy, I I hope, is my superpower. Yeah, I feel like that's definitely, I can definitely see that in you. That's great. (laughs) Well, thank you again for taking the time to join me today. All right, thank you so much. I've had occupational therapy before a few times, and so have my children, but we've never had such amazing, all-encompassing occupational therapy that really touch on so many parts of our lives and how we go about our day-to-day. So if you're looking for an occupational therapist, I encourage you to talk to them beforehand and make sure that they're going to cover the things that you need because certain occupational therapists cover some things and some cover others. So make sure you ask questions. You don't have to just go to the first person that your doctor refers you to or you see. Just make sure that you have a good, comfortable working relationship with that person because as you've seen, they can be really awesome. She's really helped us out. And I can see in the future how much work we will have done. It's going to be great. So thank you again for joining me today. It's been such a pleasure to be able to get these different ideas from people and to bring them to you because so many of us have our own problems. And then we've got kids who have issues that we're trying to get through and we need to take care of all of us. And so I really like Cindy's advice, you know, if we don't take care of ourselves, we're not going to be able to take care of anybody else as well. So if you keep putting your own needs on the back burner and putting everyone first, just remember, they're not getting the best part of you. And it's really hard to do as a mom, but I encourage you to do it. So thank you again for joining me. Our music today is A New Day by Scott Holmes. And before I forget... Don't forget to join us if you would like to be a part of a group who is an amazing supportive group, never negative. You can jump in there, ask them any questions if you've got anything going on. Right now we're on Facebook, 
still working on moving. Name is Chronically Positive Mom. So chronically, because we're all chronic, positive, because we're trying to stay positive in light of everything that's happening around us. And we're all moms. So I encourage you to join us and we'd love to get to know you. And I look forward to talking to you next week. 